Get Lit. Happy 2020, listeners, and welcome back to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we talk about famous works of literature and the authors who wrote them. I'm your host, Steph Spars, here with my good friend, young Jonathan. Thank you, Stephanie. I really appreciate you calling me that. For those of you in the know, there is uh, someone at work that calls me this that does not know my name is not Jonathan, and it's been two years since they started calling me this, and I have yet to correct them. It's too late. It's too late. I just, I take it. Anywho, um, we're here this week to talk about L.M. Montgomery, um, who I think is is more popularly known as the author who wrote Anne of Green Gables, uh, which is a classic Canadian novel. So we're actually going outside of the U.S., um, headed north this time up to our fine neighbors in Canada. Um, also, shout out and welcome to, we had a lot of Irish listeners this week, I'm assuming because of Oscar Wilde, so hopes this doesn't disappoint, but that was really cool to see. So um, welcome to all of you. We're glad you're here. We only have one announcement this week. But um, it's an exciting announcement. It is an exciting one. And I guess it's not so much of an announcement as it is a reminder, but Get Lit Live 3 is happening on February 9th. Um, so information forthcoming, but it'll be another Sunday afternoon. Um, so save that time on your Google Calendar, your physical calendar, whatever calendar you have. Or your physical planner. That's how Stephanie does it. Right. Yes. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how close is that to Michael's birthday, I think, is really what we want to know. I don't remember. I don't either. Just kidding. <laughs> it's right after. So, That's right. Um, we'll, we'll call and sing to him in celebration. Yes. Don't tell him. Just tell him to be ready at the time and don't tell him what's going to happen. Oh, that would be awesome. Because he's not listening to this. No, he's not. He only, <laughs> listens, he, he only listens when I tell him there's a shout out for him. Yes. <laughs> that makes him sound so bad. He's really a delightful person. He is. Um, okay. Uh, so with that being said, it's 2020. Do you have any um, resolutions, goals, things that you want to accomplish this year at I'm, all? Yes, I'm sticking to the literary realm though, because I, uh, with Great. my resolutions, I would very much like to finish Moby Dick this year. <gasps> Amazing. So Stephanie, I had her pick out a couple of classics for me to read next, and I finished the picture Dorian Gray, uh, and uh, I had done Wuthering Heights on my own, and I want to do Moby Dick. I would highly recommend it. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. I think there's a lot of things we could talk about. For sure. <laughs> for that. What about um, you, Stephanie? Anything in 2020? Um, I think I like, as an English teacher, um, I tend to focus on a word and, and something that I kind of is, is like a touchstone as opposed to an, a, a resolution um, because I think it gives me some nice guidance. And I think the word that I picked this year, courage, Um, can apply to a lot of situations. So I hope to have um, courage in doing projects that I'm proud of and and going on more adventures and um, the way that I connect with people and and having courage in love and having courage in my career. Um, So I think that setting the intention with a word is a good way to keep reminding myself. Um, So I have it written on a little index card. Um, And this is actually an activity that I'm planning to do with my students this coming week is to find an intention word. Um, And I hang them up in my classroom so they can use it as a touchstone when they need it. Um, So that's a tradition I started a couple years ago and it's really done well. So I hope that my year is, is full of courageous moments. What a poignant resolution. 
uh, that I think would apply to all of us, honestly. Yeah. Thank you. You're going to need um, for some courage for Moby Dick. <laughs> I guess. It's, it's a big book. It's Mine a big seems book. <laughs> so much more like a task than yours is a whole like vision of life. But I don't see that as a bad thing. Yeah. At all. Um, well, I guess with that being said, um, we're resolved to bring you some new and exciting um, trips and content uh, and opportunities this year with Get Lit. So. A plus transition. Thank you. <laughs> and I think with that being said, we're going to go ahead and transition into the author of Anne of Green Gables, among other things. Lucy Maud Montgomery was born in Clifton, now New London, on Prince Edward Island in Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> um, on November 30th, 1874. How exotic. She is a Sagittarius, which I sort of vehemently disagree with, but you <laughs> let me know. Um, she was named Lucy after her grandmother and Maud after Queen Victoria's daughter, Princess Alice Maud Mary. So, uh, which I imagine was a very popular thing to do is to name your child after the royalty of the, the nation. Sure. Right? Um, she wrote in her journal, actually, about this, I never liked Lucy as a name. I always liked Maud, spelled not with an E, if you please. So she was M-A-U-D and preferred to go by Maud. Good for her. Is it? <laughs> I mean, like, Lucy is this, like, loopy name, right? Uh -huh. Like, it's very soft. It's fun to write. Right. And then Maud is just, like... Maud. Gra exactly. Grounded, <laughs> guttural, down to earth. Maud. Great. Her parents were um, Hugh John Montgomery and Clara Woolner McNeil. And um, so when Maud was less than two years old, her mother dies of tuberculosis. Mm. She, she doesn't really grow up with her mother. Um, I don't know if this is normal for the time, but before we pronounce judgment, her father leaves her in the care of her mother's parents um, who live in Cavendish, which is a, a spot on Prince Edward Island. And he then moves to Western Canada and settles in um, Saskatchewan and remarries. Wow. So I don't know if that's a normal thing that you do when your wife dies is leave your baby with her parents, but he did that. Um, and she is the only child of this family and mm. she's living with an elderly couple. So she spends a lot of time working through nature. She learns to read and write at an early age um, and kind of lets her imagination run wild. She names everything. And um, has recorded entries of her apple trees being named things like Little Syrup and Gavin. <laughs> and I just thought that was a delightful detail. What attributes of an apple tree lead to the name Gavin? It just looked like a Gavin. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's the Gavin look. Right. Okay. It, the apple tree just looked like Gavin. Um, so she um, loves the time that she spends at Cavendish. This will actually eventually be her inspiration for Avonlea, which is the setting of Anne of Green Gables. Mm. Um, and it makes sense. I, I have a feeling that people who've read Anne of Green Gables and have are listening to this podcast will notice a lot of similarities between the creator and the protagonist of the book. Um, so she... Uh, spends some time playing with her cousins who live nearby. Um, her paternal grandfather, um, Senator Donald Montgomery, 
lives close to her family and relations. So she's able to kind of know her family. Um, at the age of six, she starts to attend the one-room schoolhouse in Cavendish, and she completes her early education there. In 1890, she goes and leaves and spends time in Prince Albert with her father and his new wife, and then she comes back. Mm. So I don't know if it just didn't go well or what have you. Um, but while she's actually out there, she publishes her first poem, which is very exciting. Good for her. It's called On Cape La Force, and it's published by Prince Edward Island's newspaper, The Patriot. So her first publication occurs out there, which is neat. Hmm. Uh, when she's nine, she begins writing poetry and keeping a journal. And then in September of 1891, at 17, um, she returns to Cavendish, and she misses the deadline to go to school that year, um, but she completes grade 10 the following year and graduates in 1893. So after that, she studies for her teacher's license at the Prince of Wales College and completes her two-year course there with um, only one year needed. So she basically does her entire two-year program in half the time. Good for her. In a year, right? Could you have done your engineering master's in a year? In fact, my engineering... Oh, I did do my engineering master's in a year. Oh. Could you have done it in a semester? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, impressive halftime. No. Yes. No. <laughs> my undergrad was supposed to be four years, and I had to do it in five. Okay. Right. Like, who doesn't these days? Right. Okay. Um, so she graduates not only in a year, but also with honors, which is really cool. Um, so then by the time she's 19, she starts teaching. And she teaches in three different schools on Prince Edward Island. Um, Bidford, Belmont, and Lower Beduk. Bedicube. Someone help. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, please help. Those of you um, with Canadian geography experience, please help us. <laughs> yes, please apply. Um, and these are all kind of in the upper third of the island. I was looking mm. up the geography. So she teaches only for um, a year and then starts to study for kind of a, an official college degree. I think teacher certification courses are different at this time than um, actual college degrees. And she selects English literature and she spends some time in Nova Scotia um, at the Dalhousie University in Halifax. Hmm. And she is one of the few women of her time, right? This is the late 1800s, um, seeking higher education. And she actually receives her first payments for her writing while she's studying there. So I thought that was kind of neat that she's kind of getting her feet wet in this English literature, but also discovering this passion that she has for writing. Um, and how ambitious while being yeah. like one of the few females in her college right. program to also find the time to continue her writing hobby or whatever but then whatever. also be so good that she can get it published exactly which also for a woman at the time very remarkable good for her um in 1898 she's teaching in lower baduki <laughs> baduke we're just gonna say it different every time yeah just for fun we'll hit on um, it right at least her once. grandfather dies suddenly oh. And she returns to Cavendish immediately to help take care of her grandmother, um, who wouldn't have been able to stay at her home by herself because they were older. It's a lot of land that they own. Um, so she stays with her grandmother for the next 13 years, um, helping take care of her and continuing to write. Um, during 
1901, from 1901 to 1902, she works as a proofreader for the Daily Echo. So she takes kind of a nine month break and earns a little money doing that. Um, but while she is writing and, you know, she's sending off her poems, she's written short stories, she's serializing stories at this point to different Canadian, British and American magazines. So she's she's going like international, international with her writing. Um, this was interesting. So her grandparents homestead was also the district post office, which was cool. So yeah. She takes over the duties as the assistant postmistress there, which is neat. So she's kind of, again, earning a living, helping her grandmother around, but also earning a living. But also, it looks like she had ulterior motives. She actually sent her submissions out, like, without anyone else knowing, because she worked as the postmistress. So she could very easily write up her material, package it up, and slip it in with the post that was going out without anybody noticing, because she was the postmistress. Um, and she was able then to receive the responses from publishers without anyone knowing as well. Was that because, important? Yeah, she didn't, like, she, I guess she didn't want anyone to know that she was writing. Like, no one knew that she was, like, publishing her work throughout these 13 years. Wow. Right? Isn't that wild? So she's a, she's a clandestine publisher. I guess. And, yeah. And did she sign her name as she does in... That's a good question. Jables, I'm or... not quite sure how much of that went out under her own name. Yeah. I didn't read anything about a pseudonym, but she also published under L.M. Right. As opposed to Lucy Maud mm. or just Maud. So that could have done something too. Um, so she does receive rejections among this, but she does earn a comfortable income from this. In 1899, she earns $96.88, which is about $2,700 today. So that's nice. However, <laughs> um, the turn of the century by 1903, she earns $500, which in today's money, I did the math on the internet, is about $14,614. So twenty seven was how much? Twenty seven hundred. Like two thousand oh, seven hundred dollars. Okay, Very yeah. good. Yep. So she's earning a lot of money from her work. Yes. Um, I'm just sort of curious. So she's like earning all of this money. Where's she putting it? Like, yeah. is it going under the mattress? It must. Because again, be. like at, at this time, right? If she's trying to keep her writing career a secret, and money is just pouring in, where is she putting it? And what's she doing with it? If sure. anything, I don't know. Um, so in 1905, she writes uh, this little novel called Anne of Green Gables. She sends it to a bunch of publishers, but it gets a bunch of rejections. So she's like, fine, not for me. She sticks it in a hat box and puts it away. Uh, two years later, she's still been writing at this point. She finds the manuscripts again. She rereads it and she's like, I'm going to try this. So she cleans it up a little bit and then sends it out to the page company of Boston which um, publishes it in 1908. And it becomes an immediate bestseller. So now <laughs> she's an official writer, like out in the open, everything is known, and she is able to start a very successful career as a novelist. Um, her grandmother dies in March of 1911. Mm -hmm. And after that time, she marries a man named Ewan MacDonald. And she'd secretly been engaged to him for five years. <laughs> secret. Yeah, she's a like real big engagement. on the secret. She's like, I'm yes. a secret author. I also have a secret fiance. Um, no big deal. She has a lot of secrets. Yeah. A woman's heart has many secrets. 
Name that movie. I have no idea. Titanic. Oh, yes. Of course. How could I not? The Heart of the Ocean. (laughs) That's its tagline, I'm pretty sure. Something like that. I believe it. Um, We will look it up. So (laughs) prior to her engagement, she actually has two other romantic involvements. Um, A very unhappy engagement to her third cousin, which again, totally normal. Especially like third cousin. Yeah. Like we've read about first cousins, which is like a little weird, but okay. We'll allow it. Third cousin's like, okay, you probably don't really know this person. For sure. Um, so his name is Edwin, Edwin Simpson, and he's from Belmont. And she also has, a, she's not in love with him. They're mm. just like, it's kind of an engagement for financial reasons or whatever. Not that she needed that. But um, she then, at this sort of same concurrent time, has a very passionate attachment to a man named Herman Lurd. Um <gasps> Ooh. And this comes to a, a a head, I guess, or a conflict when both men visit her at the same time. That's Isn't that amazing? So Okay. So she's like engaged to this guy, but then also romantically involved with, with this other Herman guy. Lerd. And then they, they both show up to her home. So in her journal she wrote, There I was under the same roof with two men, one of whom I loved and could never marry, and the other of whom I'd promised to marry but could never love. That, oh my god! Isn't that awesome? Yes. So it is. What a way to put it, too. Right? She doesn't marry either of them, <laughs> um, and instead move, marries this other guy, Newman. Mm. So after that marriage, um, they move to um, Leeksdale, Leeskdale, Ontario. Um, and MacDonald, her husband, is the minister of a Presbyterian church. Mm. So they're kind of traveling around. And they have three sons together. Uh, Chester, who's born in 1912. Hugh, who's a stillborn, born in 1914. And Stuart, born in 1915. And um, she helped her husband with his duties. She runs the home. And she also continues to write her best-selling novel series, Anne of Green Gables, and its subsequent uh, sequels which she initially is not excited about writing about, Um, does it anyway. And um, she does that, but she also is very prolific in writing in her journals, and she writes to friends, family, and her fans. So she keeps up correspondence with all of these people. Um, She will never live in Prince Edward Island again, but will return for vacations. Oh, good. Um, And she is living in a very difficult time, I would imagine, to live in. So think about it right now. It's 1915, right? The very beginnings of World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a woman trying to make it in a lot of fields where women, she has no inspiration. She really doesn't have many models for. Um, and she's living in a situation that isn't great. Um, her infant son has just died. And she's had some family members who die. And her husband also is sort of like, I guess, officially diagnosed with um, religious melancholia, which I had to look up. Yeah, please Um, explain. Melancholia is basically extreme depression. It actually has its origins in the medieval times. Um, It was one of the four humors, was a sort of melancholic personality. Mm. Um, But basically just sort of means extreme, extreme depression, can't get out of bed for days at a time, Um, horrible you know, physical manifestations of depression. Um, But then the religious element was the belief that God had predestined him to hell, which has to kind of suck to live with. I personally don't know what that's like. Yeah. 
So not only is he depressed, but he also is pretty confident that God has already determined that he will not make it to heaven. And he was the minister of a church. Fine. Okay. (laughs) So um, no one knows this. Maude keeps this secret their entire lives. She's written about it, but she never talk. They never talk about it. Um, so she writes and her writing kind of maybe contrary to her actual life is incredibly positive. It's uplifting, um, describing the beauty of nature and how wonderful the world is. Um, in 1926, they move to Norval, Ontario, and they stay there until, um, McDonald resigns from the ministry in 1935. So they're there for about 10 years. And then they move to Toronto, um, I looked up Norval. It's actually kind of like a suburb or what I would imagine, like a far suburb of Toronto. Mm. So then they move closer into Toronto so they could be near their sons. Um, And she dies uh, on April 24th, 1942. And throughout this time has continued to write and take care of everyone and everything um, at the age of 67. And her husband dies the year after, 1943. Um, so she's buried in Cavendish Cemetery, close to the site of her old home on Prince Edward Island. That seems right. I know, right? I thought that was really beautiful. Um, and throughout the course of her lifetime, I just kind of wanted to put these numbers out there to demonstrate how incredible this woman was. She published 20 novels, um, 530 short stories, 500 poems, and 30 essays. So she wasn't just writing these cute little novels about Anne of Green Gables. Um, She's a prolific, intense, and dedicated writer. Um, Her craft is really her life, and I think that's indicative of her work. Her journals have also been published um, since then. I wonder how she would have felt about that. I don't know. That's a lot of like things that I think about when they publish a famous writer's journals or something like that, like after they die. Um, Especially because so much was secret, at least in her right? early life. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that she was even trying to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's kind of thing like like after the point that you're dead, does it does it matter? Yeah, is it exposed? You know, like I, I guess as long as it doesn't thought. expose the family yeah. in a way she didn't want. Either way, mm-hmm. um, you can go buy it and read it. Um, so I wanted to um, put this out um, and read the epigraph. Uh, students, for those of you interested in epigraph, is the text usually beginning uh, a piece of writing. So often by another writer, a quote from somebody else that sort of launches the major themes of the text that you're going to read. So the epigraph of Anne of Green Gables is um, from Robert Browning and is as follows. The good stars met in your horoscope made you of spirit, fire, and dew. And I really liked that. Yeah. I thought that was beautiful. Um, so it's it's from one of his um, commemorative poems. I went up and looked it up later. Um, and so I just, I kind of wanted to finish it. One of the things that I've been reflecting on over this break a lot, um, John and I uh, got to go see Little Women. I saw it twice um, because I liked it so much. Um, it's, it's taking these old classic works that have meant something to, you know, generations a hundred years before us and translating them to make them modern. So I heard a couple complaints from people saying how it was different than the book. 
Um, the new series, um, it's not new, it's like two years old, and with an E, it's on Netflix. The third and final, unfortunately, season just came out. Um, and it does something that I think is very similar to Little Women in taking an older text and reinterpreting it for a modern time in such a positive way. Um, I think a lot of our shows, and I talk about this with my students, is that the currency of our time so often is, is sarcasm. And, and dark humor. And not that those things aren't funny, because I think they are. I mean, parts of this show, I'm incredibly sarcastic. Um, but one of the things that I love about this new interpretation of Little Women and this new interpretation of Anne of Green Gables is how beautifully positive they are and how optimistic they are and how important I think that is for people to see. Um, I think that with the start of a new year, there's a lot um, that we reflect on. And there's a lot we think about. Um, and so I would just like to encourage everybody. Um, unfortunately, I mentioned that Anne of Green Gables, in the interpretation Anne with an E, has been canceled and they weren't able to finish the series the way they wanted to. It finished after this third season. Um, but please go watch it. I can't imagine that anyone who sees it wouldn't be happier because of it. And I think being inundated with the negativity that happens um, in our world can be really draining on mm -hmm. people. And I, I think it's important to keep positive, even when things are dark and looking dim. And so I don't know, I, I was sort of reflecting as I was doing this research on, on the necessary need for positivity these days um, and staying positive and keeping yourself positive and encouraging the other people around you. There's a hopeful light to optimism, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And it seems really necessary, just like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, I'm great. I'm grateful that you would uh, suggest for us to watch something that uh, would bring mm -hmm. that spirit into our lives. Yeah, and I hope it does. I, I would love to um, hear what you guys think of it. Um, again, all three seasons are on Netflix. Little Women uh, is in theaters. It's They're both made by female creators. So I think, again, that's really important to support in the arts um, is women being incredible in their fields, um, as Lucy Maud Montgomery indeed was. Um, and Amy Beth McNulty, the actress who plays Anne, is just fantastic. Um, she's a spark. And I, I just, I really enjoy the show because I love watching it. Um, I love watching her, and it's also beautiful. Mm. Um, wherever they're choosing to shoot it, um, just some of the, the B-roll shots of nature, like I could just sit and watch those um, forever. <laughs> so I would highly recommend taking a look at that. Um, mostly when you when you feel you need a boost. I hope that um, indeed this can serve as, as a touchstone or a point of inspiration for you uh, to take into 2020, uh, knowing that we are hoping and hoping for hope and light and hoping to keep that in your lives as well as ours. So um, I guess with that being said, with the theme of being light, uh, we'd like to thank you for always keeping it lit. Yeah.